Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Marble Room at 67 Palmal. Tonight, we've got a very, very special webinar. We're very pleased to welcome back two regulars, two people who we really feel have become part of the Palmal family over the last few weeks. And we're very, very honoured to welcome Jane Anson, author of Inside Bordeaux, and Jasper Morris, author of Inside Burgundy. So two of the leading experts in their um, respective regions. And tonight, we've got something quite unusual. We've got 12 wines, um, 12, six from Bordeaux, six from Burgundy, that they've chosen to be their favourite wines, I think, of the year. Um, so it's a little bit of a battle, but we don't really want it to be too competitive because we don't want to end up saying which is better. But I may play devil's advocate a little bit and I may kind of um, kind of tell them at times uh, what I think is better. And if you're there on the chat, then please do tell everybody on the chat box which wines you think are winning. So a big welcome to Jane, a big welcome to Jasper. Hey guys, are you with us? Hi, Hi Jane. Hey, good evening. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You've changed rooms yet again. I have not changed rooms. I just am doing a good job of turning, changing angles. Every oh, right. Okay. Okay. Hi, Jasper. How are you? I'm very well. I have changed rooms. Uh, they've still got, uh, got books behind because that's all you find. Uh, in the past, but I have definitely uh, changed rooms and got the Christmas tree. Um, there's a roaring fire in front of me, which you won't see. But later on, I shall maybe uh, light the candles on the Christmas tree because we're very old fashioned in that respect. You both are looking very Christmassy this evening, I must say. I'm very happy. We've both gone for the full Val Dunica look with the, <laughs> the <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, quite. And we did we did do your some of your non Bordeaux and Burgundy favourites the other night, which I think was really interesting. It's very interesting to see what you would drink outside of your respective regions. Um, but I think it's going to be even more fascinating to to compare some of your favourite wines from the region and to see, um, yeah, to see uh, how how they how they match and how they pair with one another and, and uh, yeah, to hear your thoughts. We've got twelve wines to get through, so it's quite a lot. I think we're going to start off with uh, two Bordeaux, two Bordeaux from you, Jane. Um, so would you like just to before we do that, um, what happened to the real Ronan? We appear to have somebody out of. Uh... James Bond sitting there looking very evil behind his row of glasses. So have you disposed of? Goodbye, Mr. Rowan. <laughs> I've got my white cat on my lap. Um, but you can see I'm at the club, which is why I have this army of Salto glasses in front of me. So um, yeah, so I'm not going to be polishing these. I'm going to find some, some young sommelier to polish the glasses for me. <laughs> Yes, you're very lucky. I, I only have eight glasses, so I'm going to have to sacrifice some wines at some point so I can taste them all. Okay. Well, okay, so shall great. I kick us? Absolutely. I'm conscious of how, conscious of the timings. So, um, welcome, everybody. Um, what we want to do today, as, as, um, as Ronan said, is to have a fun look at some of the best wines from each region. And I hope this becomes an annual event and that we can do it in the club next year. And I think that next year I would pick a Sauten or a Bassac, one of the sweet wines of Bordeaux, which of course is something which Bordeaux is so famous for. And so few regions globally make um, sweet wines in the way that Bordeaux does. But I wanted to just be like for like, wine for wine this year. So I've picked um, two dries and four reds. But I also wanted to nod to the fact that right up until the early 1970s, Bordeaux was in fact majority white until I think 1972 or 73 was the last um, harvest where we were on about 51, 52% whites and the rest reds. Obviously today it's 90% red and Bordeaux is known for its red wines, but I thought it would be fun 
to show you. And what I'm doing here, while we taste, because of how many we've got to go, I'm going to really do them as pairs. So what I'm trying to do with these two wines is to show you an old school, a more traditional style of Bordeaux dry white, which is majority Semillon. And um, La Mission Aubryon Blanc is one of the all-time classic, most sought, most sought after dry whites of Bordeaux. So we're going to try that one in the 2013 vintage, great vintage for a white Bordeaux. But I also wanted to start off with a slightly more unusual style of Bordeaux white. Not unusual today, but it really represents the modern style of Bordeaux, which is majority Sauvignon Blanc. Still some Semillon but it's the majority Sauvignon Blanc and it's a slightly kind of fresher, lighter style. The difference as well is the La Mission Aubryon Blanc is 100% aged in new oak, whereas the Cos d'Estenol Blanc is only 10% oak. The other really interesting thing for me about this particular wine, the Cos d'Estenol Blanc, is that it's the most northerly wines of Bordeaux. So in our last one on Monday, Jasper picked a wild red. This is with Loire rootstocks, and it's also the idea is to have a slightly more um, kind of saline, fresh feel. We're at the point of the Medoc here where the peninsula narrows, the estuary widens, you get that kind of salt sting, you get the, the, the um, wind coming in off the estuary. And this is a vineyard which actually Cosdestonel bought in 20, um, sorry, 2003, which was planted to red grapes at the time. And they looked at the grapes and they knew that at that part in the northern Medoc, it's not always easy to get red grapes as ripe as they might like. So they field grafted and planted these whites. And it is, um, I think it's 85 or 75% Sauvignon Blanc, 25% Semillon. And 2016 is one of those rare vintages which works for red, white and sweet wines. Usually you can pick the 2013 that we're having next was really pretty terrible for red but great for whites. Um, and whereas this year, it was hot and sunny, but you had cold salts. And because you're up here in the northern part of the Medoc, you also had the ability to, you know, this fresh air come all the way through. So I'm hoping that this will, will kick us off nicely to see this um, kind of style. It is Cos d'Estonel. You're gonna have a bit of glamour. You know, that's the kind of the signature of the house and they don't want to give that up. Okay, was this this vineyard? Was this the Gouli vineyard where they were making the Gouli? Yeah, yeah, very close. This is um in a, a just a little bit to the north, but yes, in the same area. I think the vines touch in one place. Okay. There's also a brilliant wine right next door that also does a white. One of my favourite inexpensive white wines of Bordeaux. That's also Poitevin, and it's very close to these vineyards. And again, the white wines are just sensationally good. So I also recommend that one, but I, I wanted to not take the risk. I'm going with I'm going with a classified white. Well, there's not many white wines from the Medoc, is there? We did do a webinar about it, which was very interesting. There's probably more than you would expect, but yeah, not not that many. Well, this is also a great example of that kind of new trend, which is 1855 classified states who are now making a white wine. So you have people like Talbot who've been doing it for years. This year, you've got Brand Cantonac for the first time. You have a great one, Cantonac Brown, that we got sent over to you because I love it so much. I really wanted you to try it. There are now 11 of the 1855 guys who do a white. So yeah, so this is also representing that kind of new thing. And obviously, I don't need to tell anyone at six o'clock this, but they are AOC Bordeaux Blanc rather than the, the Medoc, the, rather than the appellation they're grown in because those are the rules of Bordeaux. Okay, let's see how it goes. Okay, 
So I am happy. I'm a great sigh of relief that my first white wine is clean, it's fresh, it has the richness and the roundness that you'd expect from Coz, but actually it has a lovely fresh acidity, a good grip. This is four years old. Our next one will be seven years old. I love, you really do look like the evil overlord because your fingers are spreading out as you're tasting that. Well, Ronan recovers himself from that onslaught. Um, just a question on 2016 as a vintage for white Bordeaux because it was pretty dreadful for white Burgundy. Ah, uh, interesting. Well, so, so as I say, it was a rare, a rare year for Bordeaux where you've got quite good whites as well as exceptionally good reds. In most years, you have to make it, so you have to make a choice. So 2015 was better for the reds than the whites. 2018, better for reds than whites. 2017, terrible for, well, not terrible, that's not fair, but very good for, for, for whites more than reds. 2013, one that was terrible for reds, but good for whites. So this year actually was, there are some very good 2016s, mm. but it okay. helps we're so far up in the north of the Medoc that it keeps that freshness. Did it pass your test, Jasper? What did you think? What do I think of the uh, of the uh, of the cause? Well, I thought I'd actually quite like to try the La Mission, which I haven't done yet, to to compare and contrast. Um, but and uh, I've always had a soft spot from cause, and um, about the only sport I've ever tried to play, apart from cricket, badly, is uh, jeu de paume in French or real tennis, and of course. Uh, in the days when the Pratt's family owned Cause d'Estenel, the son, uh, Jean-Guillaume, was a uh, French champion at that school. And yeah, that's a, a lovely um, thing in Bordeaux. Everyone in Bordeaux plays a bit of Jeu de Pomme, and he's, he's exceptionally good. So price-wise, there's a bit of a difference. So this white Bordeaux is €129 Euros for a bottle. And then as we head over to La Mission Aubryon Blanc, we're closer to €700 Euros a bottle. So La Mission Aubryon Blanc is really one of the rarest and most sought after wines in Bordeaux. They only make 500 cases a year. It's from a tiny 2.5 hectare vineyard. And it's um, a very, you know, it's, they've been making wine, white wine from this vineyard since the early 20th century. It was called, as um, you know, it famously was called La Ville Aubryon. And it was actually classified under the name La Ville Aubryon in the 1959 classification. And because it's now changed its name to La Mission Aubryon Blanc, it is no longer classified because that's the rules of that particular ranking. They gave the, they gave the classification to the names of the wines rather than to the land. So, um, so yeah, this is Wait. now just a mere unclassified, set you back 700 euros a bottle. You don't need to be classified you when you're as good as this. <laughs> I always find those Bordeaux, when, they, when they're a bit young, I think that that cost is a bit young at the moment, but... The La Michon, I think when the Bordeaux like that gets old, it has that lovely kind of chai tea, cardamom pod kind of smell to it. A bit sort of flinty, yeah. a bit smoky. But it's really coming through very, very strongly, I think, in the La Michon. Mm. Mm. And, and also, this is 73% semillon. So you have that the flip between the grape varieties. So you have that beautiful richness that you also get from semillon. And it's going to age perfectly. Really, this, you know, this is it's starting to change. The colour's deepening. You're right, you're getting slightly more spice, cardamom flavors, all of those slightly more open flavors, but this is going nowhere for another couple of decades, I would say. Hmm. This particular sample is going somewhere, it's going down my throat. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
Now, in response to that very, very cheeky comment, uh, uh, I'm only pouring myself tiny samples to avoid having to throw anything away out of the glass. Right. Um, I mean, it's... The honeysuckle, we get the spice, we still get the salinity, but it, it feels like a serious white wine, doesn't it? I think yeah, that's... Absolutely. Mm. In both of them, you've got that fascinating lanolin um, aspect, which, um, I mean, I used to talk glibly about lanolin without having the faintest idea what lanolin actually smelt of. But now that we have a few sheep, I've, uh, I've learned what it really does. <laughs> oh, really? Well, I need to get sheep farms more often. Yes. But I think it, it, they both have, for me, a slight salinity on the finish, which is, mm -hmm. which is a typical thing for Bordeaux whites. Yeah. I'm just going to mention one amazing dinner that I was invited to years and years ago, so it's not quite as old as... Uh, as it sounds, it was at Harry War's house and uh, he invited a few people um, around and he served for the Reds for only sort of second, third, I mean, super second type um, uh, Bordeaux, all from the 1959 vintage. And the white was La Ville O'Brien, 1959. And it was such an astonishing wine that anything we had after that, Ducru, Lascaux, all those things, you put them in your mouth and all they did was bring more of the La Ville flavor do you? So throughout the evening, that was the wine that we really tasted. How wonderful. And that's a special vintage you tasted. That's the year that it got the classification, because that was the first year of the, of the crew classification. Of course. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this has got so many layers. It just keeps on giving you something else. I'm getting kind of white. Yes. I mean, I think it's unfair to, uh, to try to compare one against the other, because they're aiming at different things and at different price points. And of course, uh, uh, I'm doing something a little bit similar when we get on to mine, that they're certainly different price points, not necessarily different classifications. Um, instead, you, your pricing is what you might would pay on the open market today rather than the opening price. Both of those prices are exactly, they're TTC in France today. Right, um, okay. You could find a bottle. The problem with the Mission is it's hard to find a single bottle. So we're all super lucky. Thank you. Which you mean you have to buy a case? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now... I think just to be fair and keeping the timing, I'm going to hand the baton over to you, Jasper. Mm. Sorry, I'm just having, I really do think that's the most beautiful wine. I like the cause very much, um, but I do think there are certain terroirs which have more personality. Uh, I think the Medoc white Bordeaux is more a question of the skill of the winemaking and general intelligence from the producers rather than being a natural uh, White wine place is my take on it. Okay, so what I've done is I have gone to uh, two favourites from different parts of, of um, Burgundy. One uh, young, but from a really delicious vintage, 2017, and the other a bit older because um, we could, <laughs> because uh, um, <clears throat> £67 man had managed to luck into a, a, a small stash of that particular wine. Uh, and so I, as soon as uh, uh, I heard about it, I, I earmarked this, that and the other. So I think from the same stash, we had uh, a 2002 Dovisar Chablis the other day. And now we've got the 2010 Merceau from Rouleau. But so often when we talk about great Chablis, it's Dovisar and Raveneau who get the, the nod. I mean, they're almost, you're almost not allowed to say one name without the other. Uh, but there are quite a few other really, really excellent Chablis producers. I could mention uh, Christian Moreau, the Pinsons, uh, I, I mean, lots of them, but uh, uh, William Favre, one of my really, really favorite uh, people, however, is Samuel Biot. And he was part of Domaine Biot-Simon, 
And when everything went uh, a little bit pear-shaped with a bit of a family quarrel, I decided, as uh, then being a professional buyer, I decided to uh, go with the person rather than with the history. So I stopped buying B.O.C. Moore and I bought Samuel's wines. At that point, it was very early days and he hardly had any vineyards at all himself. It was more negotiable stuff. Um, but then I'm going to pour myself some now. Um, he has managed to get a little slice from the family domain. Uh, Favourably in Louis Saint-Georges, who bought up the old, uh, the rest of the old domain, B.O. Simon, doing a great job with it. So now we can buy both happily. Uh, but Samuel is one of those people with, he just seems to have a natural talent. Um, you can't say he does this and therefore the wine is great, because if that were the case, anybody else could do that. It's just something about him. He makes the right decisions. Broadly speaking, he uh, uses a bit of oak, but not a huge amount. This particular Mondemilia, which he's had since the start of his own venture, which is his own domain, um, three plots. He's got 80-year-old vines at the foot of the hill, 60-year-old vines at the top, and 35-year-old uh, uh, vines in the middle. Uh, Mondemilia being on the right bank. Uh, why it's called Mondemilia, we don't really know except it's possibly the halfway point between Chablis and Tonnerre, uh, but slightly, slightly hard to pin down why it should be called that. 2017, problematic at first in Chablis because it was a major frost vintage, whereas the Cote d'Or escaped from the west of the frost. Um, but nonetheless, in Chablis, they, whenever I went to taste the 2018, so they said it's the Anadio du CX, the year of the century, at the end of the tasting the 18s, I'd say, but which do you prefer, 17 or 18? And they all preferred 17. <laughs> it was 18 was the year of the century because they made so much of it. Um, so when I tasted this uh, a couple of years back, it got one of my five-star awards, this particular vineyard from this particular producer. About the 17s, the red 17s in Burgundy. Did they do better than the red 17s in Bordeaux? They're, they're lovely wines, but they're not, it's not considered to be one of the great years. They're more fruit forward and ready earlier, but we're liking them more and more because people are now saying it's the last classic vintage before the, the new normal. Yeah, and I think Alistair is saying that, um, yeah, getting a lot of pineapple, salt, white pepper. I think definitely there's a lot of that pineapple tropical <laughs> fruit, more than maybe I would expect. Yeah, yep. someone has definitely put salt on the pineapple rather than sugar, however. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It is still very, very backward, but you can see most of, of what it's about. Um, this will have been uh, a mixture of barrel and stainless steel, and then uh, blended together after the best part of a year, um, and then kept for another six months before bottling. Very, very long finish, um, but the, the flavour is still pretty primary. You're and getting how enough. Kind of Lee's work or Batonage will they be doing up there? These 50 50. Um, there won't be a lot of batonage in any case. Um, I can't think of many of the top producers who are still uh, stirring things. Um, and uh, oddly, in, in tank, you can do it a little bit more easily in a way than in barrel. You just, uh, every so often, you can uh, move things around a bit. Depends on the shape of your tank. Some of them naturally seem to circulate the leaves. Uh, that would be subject of another technical uh, zoom okay um just so everybody knows jane and i and probably ronan as well we are further away from our computers because we're being filmed while this goes on so we can't see the chats quite as easily plus the computer i'm using 
uh, is our cameraman's computer and it's in French, so it's got the French keyboard. So I may not be able to respond uh, as much as I normally would. But if you see me leaning forward like this and peering at it, um, then uh, uh, that's because I'm trying to catch up with your, your chat messages. If anyone puts anything on Q&A, then maybe Ronan or Martina, you can pick up on that for us. Yeah, I can, I can see the chat box. Yeah, yeah there's lots of uh, agreement with people from Ian saying he agrees definitely with the pineapple as well and quite citrusy. Um, yeah, so I'll keep an eye on that. Alice right, very so ready, I'll move on to um, my second white. Uh, so I've gone to Jean-Marc Rouleau, the great actor, actor turned winemaker, because originally he didn't take over from his uh, late father. He went up to Paris and uh, starred mostly in plays. He even wrote one about uh, his Merceau des Luches, which is a two-man play, which gets revived every so often. Well, recently he's been in some films like Suki uh, Nuli, which is a really, really good Burgundy story. And it's about the only wine film I know in which you don't get irritated by inaccuracies in the winemaking because Jean-Marc directed all that. Um, it's called, uh, I think, Back to Burgundy in English, and uh, was a stalwart of the in-flight movies in the days we used to fly. Um, which is the film? There's a, there's a film which is supposedly set in Burgundy and, and, and actually was filmed in Cloforte in Bordeaux. <laughs> right, no, that's, uh, yes, I think I heard that, but I haven't seen that one. So this is very definitely filmed in Burgundy, with uh, Jean-Marc being the, the old family retainer winemaker. Um, so this is, he has plenty of Premier Cru's. He doesn't have any Grand Cru. This is a village wine, but it's a really special wine. It's, it's almost the, the flagship wine of his uh, estate until subsequently he got an amazing Premier Cru vineyard called Claudia Boucher. He didn't get that till 2011 though. Um, and so it's Tesson and you'll see um, it is called uh, on the screen and on your uh, sheets if you've got the uh, wines, Tesson Clou de Montplaisir because this incredible Tesson vineyard um, has got little walled subsections and there are lots of small, uh, smaller than houses, but bigger than huts um, in the vineyard where people used to go on the Sundays and, uh, and have picnics up there. Um, and we thought it was called Clos de Montplaisir, but there is a little stone arch at the entrance to this vineyard, which is called Clos des Hauts-Tessons, O-H-A-U-T-S, High Tessons, Clos du Hauts-Tessons, a mon plaisir. Those are the words on it. And I mentioned that to Jean-Marc one day and said, why have you called it Claude de Mon Plaisir when the actual wording is this? And he said, oh, good point. And after that, he's changed it. So at some point in five, six years ago, he has slightly changed the label. This is before then, so it's 2010. Ronan said his wine was a dangerously dark colour. Mine too. Quite, quite a bit darker than yours looks, actually, Jasper. Yeah, yours doesn't look too dark from here, but mine is exactly what I expect from a 10-year-old wine. Um, it was a year in which there was a massive thunderstorm in uh, September, just before the grapes got ripe. Um, uh, I think about the uh, 12th of September from memory. And it turned some of the grapes blue in colour, which is a little bit worrying. Um, it really affected, it was on the border of Chassin and Sontenay. By the time you got to Merced, there was still a bit of an effect. And it, as you got further north, it, um, it disappeared. But the sensible people didn't panic. Our friend, the cold north wind came back and it stopped uh, rot becoming rampant but it has given a more exotic character to the nose of 2010s. So, um, I'm getting some uh, great comments from several of you. Uh, so I hope, um, oh, I do love some of these adjectives, some of these descriptors. Well done, Hugo, with your popcorn and sesame. Yes. 
So clearly, most of you out there have got samples still in good condition. And mine is certainly no deeper than a 10-year-old mouse ought to be. I'm not sure that yours is that much deeper, Jane, but it depends. You hold it now against your brown sofa. So. Some of the kind of caramel on the nose, but then you get this gorgeous ginger on the palate, which is beautiful. And you're right, and actually, it, it's, 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 uh, it feels exactly as you'd want it to be at 10 years old. Hmm. Good acidity still. Um, I do think acidity is so important. It's a bore when you're describing wines, you say good acidity, but a normal human being who's not one of us wine groupies hears the word acid and is turned off. So I think I always um, say fresh, just the right amount of freshness that, that makes yeah. everyone know what you're talking about. Yeah. And you used it earlier, but definitely here in Burgundy, it's the white as the word of the year is uh, salinity. We're all, we're all, we're all for saline at the moment. Well, yeah. um, without wanting to move you on too quickly, I think we, no, need we should yeah. we need comments. Ask the ask the people in the chat box what what round is this going to go to? Is this going to go to Bordeaux or Burgundy? And um, did you prefer the two Bordeaux or did you prefer the two Burgundies? You will get a chance to vote at the uh, at mm. at the end for you know, across the whole piece, but uh, yeah. I think I would say one thing to that, which is everyone would expect Burgundy to win this round because Burgundy is quite clearly the more famous um, white wine region. So whether or not we like them, which one actually wins the, the round, I am very, very happy that both of those Bordeaux were showing complexity and interest and, and kept, you know, really kind of, I think they held up their side admirably. Absolutely. I think in terms of the samples we put up, uh, we both put up a grand classic and my uh, less classic is probably more classic than your less classic in, in the intention, not in how it's tasting today. So um, Burgundy ought to come through on, in terms of uh, how we chose uh, the wines. Well, I think in the chat box, we've got one for Burgundy, one for Bordeaux, one um, who's in the middle, who gives it to both of you. And then someone yeah. else, um, Ian is saying, uh, just scrapes Burgundy in on that round. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Difficult decision, says Ian. Yes. Anyway, well done. And look, it's slightly unfair in you, Jane, because you, uh, we just decided that probably the styles of the wines, we should taste the Bordeaux before the Burgundies. Yeah. So it's back to you. We've also, we thought about it. We thought we would do all four of the reds from one country before we do the four from the other country, um, uh, rather than having everybody having to go backwards and forwards between, uh, uh, between types. Um, so... It's back over to Jane. Mind you, your, your first two are both Merlots, aren't they? So the way I picked it, I have two right banks and yep. then two left banks. And so, yes, two Merlot dominate, dominant and then two Cabernet Sauvignon dominant. Okay. Well, we can listen to the chat. If you would rather we did two Bordeaux, then two Burgundies, then two Bordeaux, then two Burgundies, we'll do it that way. Uh, so let us know if you prefer that. Otherwise, we'll stick with four Bordeaux. Okay. On you go, Jane. I am pouring them out. Okay, now I've got to say, I had a few sleepless nights this week about my first red choice. I even texted Jasper at one point saying, you know, just I'm, I'm feeling a little bit nervous about it. But I wanted to pick a wine. It was really important to me. I know that there's a lot of Burgundy lovers who are watching tonight. I wanted to pick a wine which is the opposite of what people think about Bordeaux. So this is an unfiltered, biodynamic, organic, um, no added sulfur, no new oak. It's made in, um, it's aged for 24 months in big sized oak barrels. It's a, a Cote de Franc or a Franc Cote de Bordeaux, which has um, 
for the same family for 400 years, the Amaro family. It's a, really a cult wine. And in fact, we have an excellent um, manga cartoon that I want to show you. I'm not sure if you have that, Ronan, or who has that? We could just show everyone. We've got that, we can show that, that slide. Well, we did, a, we did a webinar with them. It's a very, very interesting chateau. And I think the wines are fantastic. And it's not really on most people's radar, for example, when, we, when you did talk about the wines, Grant kind of turned up his nose and said, I've never heard of it, which is not that big a surprise. But um, yeah, no, I think it was a really interesting choice. Okay, excellent, good. Yeah, ballsy, ballsy, but I hope it's going to pay off. And I have been to a tasting in Paris of this wine going right back to 1917. So I know that it can age. Wow. But yes, I wanted to do a wine which is truly artisan, terroir driven. They work with the Bourguignon, the um, Claude and his wife, they do a lot of work with them. And this is on one of the highest points in Bordeaux. It's about 110 meters, which I know it's not so high, but for Bordeaux, it's one of the highest point. And um, yeah, no chemicals, nothing for 400 years is how they like to say it. And it was one of the wines within um, the manga, the drops of God. And this was one of the kind of the, the wines that they had to find along, along the route to enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they picked the Emilium, the Cuvée Emilium in the um, drop, of, drop of Gods. But this is Cuvée Barthélemy, which is from a specific plot. It's their kind of top Cuvée. If you were buying this, you'd be looking at something like, depending on the vintage, it goes between 110 to 200 euros. This particular vintage, 2010, is obviously a great year. One of the great um, vintages in Bordeaux. So I was feeling pretty confident. I hoped that this is gonna work. Now you can all tell me, Okay, good. I think I'll, I think so, I can. Relax. So this is proper. This is properly priced. This is. I, I thought when well, I because I didn't know the name. I thought, oh well, she's put in some some bouncy thing at uh, the inexpensive end. Oh, no, this, this is this. Yeah, their their um entry level is about thirty euros. Right. Okay. This one is about in this particular vintage, you'd be looking at about one hundred and forty euros in a French shop. So yeah, so we're getting quite. And the reason for that is because it has become over the last ten years. People recognize how good it is. It's, this re it's really become quite a cult wine. And particularly this cuvee, it's from a small plot called Le Roc. And you have limestone after about 20 centimeters of soil. So it's really very much on the limestone, limestone driven and should age beautifully. And they like to say that it has, so there are standing stones in this vineyard that date back to the middle ages. I mean, it's really, really a very kind of spiritual special place. And it's a, a fun, a fun but Bordeaux for you all to see. Let's see how it does. Stealing our burgundy limestone. Shocking. <laughs> I think it does definitely have that very sort of dark black cherry kind of character and a slightly herbaceous. I'm with Alistair on this though that I wouldn't I wouldn't spot this as uh, Bordeaux. I know, or even Bordeaux grapes necessarily. I don't know what I And so this uh, is 85% Merlot, 15% Cabernet Franc. Yes. I think the Cabernet Franc is showing quite a bit in this one. You get the, the freshness, the florality, the spice comes through from the Cabernet Franc. And this is um, a 63 hectolitre yield. For the, the, if anyone cares about the, um, the, you know, the technical side, that's actually a very high yield. So again, they are not at all giving in to the kind of traditional Bordeaux bullshit, as they would say. They very much kind of plough their own furrow. And what I'm liking about this is it's really so juicy. You could just knock that back quite easily. So that's very, very easy to, easy to drink wine. I think that's, I just did. Oh, nice, exactly. You almost can't tell that you're drinking because it's so, it's got such freshness, but then it kind of kicks in with a, with a much more powerful punch after a minute. I'm, I'm really pleased with this wine. 
when it was first when I first poured it, I thought the nose suggested a bit of oxidation, and I thought, oh dear, it hasn't really worked. Um, I'm finding it on the palate absolutely fine. It's possibly more advanced than it. I'm sure it's more advanced than it would have been for, from a full bottle, but not in such a way that it uh, detracts from the pleasure at all at all. And remember, the way that they make this wine is in quite an oxidative style. They're making it low yes. added um, sulfur. They're making it in big um, open vats for a lot of the time. They're, they're, they're kind of they're very much about non-intervention as much as possible. So it's a yeah, super, super interesting. And it really is. Great choice. Great choice. Thank you very much. And let's compare that to. So what's quite interesting about having these two wines is you have here the unfiltered, unfined Chateau Le Puy, and then you also have unfiltered, unfined L'Eglise Clinet. Now L'Eglise Clinet is not always unfiltered and unfined, but it is in this particular vintage, um, which is the 2000, so we're 10 years older. You can tell just looking at it, mm. it's deeper, it's more intense, it's more powerful yeah. than the, the Puy, even though it's a decade older. And this is, you know, the, unquestionably one of the greatest winemakers that Bordeaux has seen over the last 50 years, Denis Durantu, who very, very sadly died this year in, in May. So this is kind of a toast to him. And also just a really, I, I loved his approach to wine. I feel very, very sad that we won't get to see his wines in the future because he had this precision, this care about the about the, the vineyard. And he was very, very, so he wasn't, he didn't grow up here. His family, again, have been on, at this estate for years. I think 1780s, his family first arrived there, but he was brought up in the Dordogne and moved around France and didn't come here until he was in his twenties. He went to Sciences Po and he studied um, economics. So he looked a bit like a professor, very, always very beautifully turned out but a very both intellectual and instinctive winemaker. You just could love speaking to him. And he was all about not, he hated the idea of brand extension. He cared about the terroir, the land and reflecting the land. And this is, so I haven't tasted this tonight, but I love this vintage. I love this wine. It's one of my probably all time favorite Bordeaux wines. So I'm hoping it holds up. Wow, Jane. Uh, I think we're going to stop the competition now. I'm sulking. I'm, I'm off. <laughs> I don't think anything I'm producing is going to match this. It's really terrific. I absolutely second what you said about um, Denis Durantou. Uh, totally, totally gorgeous man. And you mentioned that uh, you saw him as intellectual uh, in his winemaking, but he was, for me, he was very emotional winemaker. Yes, I, I, I think I, that's I, extremely I, important. I also, I love, when you, you, when you hear him talking to the people who he worked with in the vineyard, this is where I, I see his intellectual side. He was so precise about what he wanted them to do. And he said that one of the reasons that he liked to be so hands-off in winemaking, so he, he wasn't interventionist in how he made wine, was because he thought if he was away from the vineyard for any reason, he didn't want anyone else to have to do anything too complicated that might make a mistake. <laughs> he was very much a hands-on and very unusual for Bordeaux. He was a viticulturalist, he was the winemaker, and he was the owner. And that's you know, not something we often get in Bordeaux. I don't know if, when you've been there, Jane, outside the driveway, there was a little ditch by the side of the road. I don't know if you ever climbed in the ditch with him and he would show you the, the soil strata. Ronan, you're, you're bringing out another side to yourself. <laughs> Yeah, he'd be up to his knees in water. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's awesome. And actually, and if we take out everything else, 
I agree with you. This is just tasting bloody delicious. This is really, really tasting gorgeous. And it is um, 85 Merlot, 15 Cabernet Franc. So not dissimilar to the Le Puy, but we're on a whole other, no question, a whole other level of class, precision, depth of flavor. God, it's so good. Well, congratulations, Jane, for a brilliant choice, but also I will join you raising a glass to Denis Durantou, who truly, truly spectacular person. And very youthful for a 20-year-old wine, I think. I agree, I agree. Barely getting going. Wow, delicious. Okay, so um, it's going to be quite hard, I think, for, um, for Leaville Lescasse to follow that as well. We wouldn't normally say that about this cast, but I wouldn't, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm, we'll see how it does. We are now, so we were 2000 for the right bank. We're now crossing over the river and we're going to Saint-Julien. So I think even people who, who don't often drink Bordeaux wines would, Saint-Julien is such a classic and gorgeous appellation from Bordeaux and a real, it's balanced, it tends to be elegant, it tends to age brilliantly. And there are so few estates in St. Julian that it's hard to go wrong if you're, if you're picking one. Um, and Lea Valescas, as anyone who's followed these tastings with me this year knows, it's one of my favourites. I, I champion it quite often. And I like this vintage because it's kind of an unknown vintage for Lescas. Um, it's a 2001. In fact, oh, I must um, pour them out rather than just talking. Um, it's a, a vintage which was... Un underestimated at the time and has shown its brilliance as it's aged. And these guys at Les Cas, they keep so much of their wine back that they didn't actually release a huge amount on Primeur. So it's coming through the market still. And it's um, a brilliant, brilliant wine. This is dominant Cabernet Sauvignon, of course, because we're over on the left bank. So this is 69 Cabernet Sauvignon, 19 Merlot and 12 Cabernet Franc. So again, quite high Cabernet Franc, classic for, for label Les Cas. Okay, and it really needs, so I just poured it. So I hope you guys poured it before me. It really does need a good swirl around in the glass. And I think uh, Alistair's making a good comment. He's saying, am I, am I smelling um, uh, menthol? So that piperatone thing that you've mentioned many times. Nice, nice one, Alistair. Uh, that's a classic, um, classic San Julian expression. And one of the easiest ways to tell if you've crossed from the right bank to the left bank is if you're getting that menthol on the finish. And also when you, you know, when you kind of let the air come back over your mouth, if you're getting eucalyptus or menthol, you tend to have headed back over to the, to the left bank. Mm. I'm also getting a slightly um, kind of smoky caramelly oak here, which, is, which you don't often get in this cast, but this is known for being one of the, that's why it's such a lovely hidden vintage, because it's actually quite an appealing and open this gas, which is not always the case with this wine. Last night, by the way, I had a 1966 Les Gas, which was rather nice. <laughs> Still strong because it's just a crazy estate in terms of its ability to power through and keep going. Okay, I'm liking it. Have we, Jasper, are you lighting the tree, the candles? I have just lit the tree behind me. I should stand out of the way, maybe. Move to one side a little bit. Uh, so this is our tradition that um, both myself and my wife uh, absolutely insistent that we have candles and not lights on the Christmas tree. And what do you do? You just have to make sure that one of you is very careful to blow them out at the end of so you. Don't, you don't even need to. Oh, really? uh, I mean, I, I, we never do leave it, but what I tend to do if I'm the last one sort of before going up to bed, I just let them burn out on their own. And it's never, so far, 
<laughs> famous last words. <laughs> so far, it's never been a problem. Jasper, I'm loving Alistair just said that I have out-treed you, <laughs> which certainly is true in the heights, but I think Jasper's <clears throat> me because he has real candles that he's just lit on them so i think my tree i mean it might be the angle it's on uh our, uh, our tree is, uh, is well it goes right up and hits the ceiling and it's a very high ceiling and this uh... did you cut it down yourself jasper is that what happens in burgundy no we didn't we got it we but uh oh look we're getting that we're getting the zoom and you can see not only some of the books you can see what the, the french would call the cimetière up at the top there it's where the old the old dead bottles go it's so lovely, yeah, with the bottles above the books. Yeah. Yeah, I did say to Jasper earlier that it's very Dickensian, and I think Julian's just commented exactly the same. So, I, I, I <clears throat> the things which uh, motivate me predate, <laughs> predate Dickens. I like to think of myself as more 18th century than 19th, but still. By the way, I'm very happy that we've been chatting about that because it's given the less gas a little bit of time to open, which mm. it always, always, always needs. And now I'm getting those kind of more kind of classic cassis, some tobacco. The, the tannins are still pretty grippy. It's still clearly, clearly young. Was 2001, was that uh, uh, Michel Delon or Jean Hubert? It was Jean Hubert. Jean Hubert mm. had come in in the mid 1990s. Right. So it was, but still old school. They, they never change anything too much at, at Lescas. And it, the oldest, biggest sellers in Bordeaux with vintages going right back to the early 20th century. So a great place to to get locked in, if um, if you can. Yes, uh, when I, when I used to do the um, be part of the Berry Brothers Bordeaux buying team, the highlight of the week for the Emprimeur week um, was going to Las Gas where Jean Hubert he, you know, he'd come in wearing his dirty old corduroy trousers and whatever else, and we would settle down to a There would normally be fourteen glasses in front of each place, one white, and if if we insisted, we could have a sweet white at the end. Uh, but otherwise, there were 12 wines. Occasionally, they were Bordeaux. More often, they were Burgundy. Uh, and the only rule was that uh, each wine had to be, uh, was not allowed to be younger than the, the one before it. And then they're also blind. We had to guess them. And for some reason, he'd taken a bit of a shine to me. And uh, he put me next to him. And every time there was a particularly good one, he'd fill my glass right up. <laughs> That really is, uh, that says a lot about you because he definitely doesn't take a shine to everybody. And that, that's really, that's, a, <laughs> that's quite the honour, I would say. <laughs> I, I think you like my absence of commercial common sense, probably. <laughs> and the fact that I, the love of the wine took over. Well, he, uh, he, this is, a, I mean, you were right in the sense that to do this after uh, Durantu was really difficult. But nonetheless this is a first-rate wine and 2001 in burgundy as well was a year that wasn't that easy to spot early on but has made really good wine since so yes uh, i think you've got a, a properly competent no no sorry competence not the right word it sounds um, dismissive but you've got a properly beautifully made wine here uh, that's a classic and young still it's classic it has the balance of saint julian and it's um yeah it's, and it gets better and better as it opens. I think this one, we could have another hour and it would just keep on opening further and further. But I am conscious again that we have to keep on our, our timing and we can't let poor old Mouton Rothschild 1996 <laughs> not have its moment in the sun. So let's switch over just a little bit further north over to, to Poyac. This time last year, about, I think it was in October 2019, I had one of my all-time starriest evenings when I went to the Palace of Versailles to drink the 1945 Mouton as part of a charity event. How did you do? 
as the kind of warm-up artist before we had the 1945, they served this 1996 out of Jeroboam. And it was pretty freaking amazing. 1996 as a whole, you could almost not go wrong if you're, if you're in the Medoc. You know, I wouldn't go to the right bank on 1996, but if you're going to San Julian, Poyac, Margot, you really 1996 is such a great, great vintage. And if there were any of you with me last two weeks ago, we had the 1990s, we did three um, 1990 vintages and we had the 1990 of Mouton Rothschild. And it was honestly just a tiny bit under par, Ronan, I'm sure you remember. It was good, yeah, but it, but... Wasn't, it didn't sing. So yeah. I hope this is gonna make up for it for all of you if, you if you tasted both of them. Well, I do remember the wine of the night that night was 96 costs, which it was, was phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's a great, great vintage, and so. But it wasn't. It wasn't credited um, as being a truly great vintage by a certain very influential wine critic at the time, right. who I think missed '96 on the left bank and to some extent missed '98 on the right bank, if you go back to his original prognostications, and greatly overinflated 2000, which for me is on either bank is less good than '96 left or '98 right. And if you think he also over um, egg 2003, that was one of his all time greats. And we all know that did not last. Yeah, second. well, yes. I and mean, we shouldn't actually spend our valuable seconds uh, <laughs> bashing people from another part of the world. But uh, um, none, nonetheless, I felt strongly, I really minded about it because the price of the, the 96 first gross um, were absolutely sensational. And even my uh, palette formed on bottles of other shapes. Uh, was able to spot quite how good the 96 Medocs were. Yes, well, well, this one, if we're looking at it today, people do say this is an undervalued Mouton, but, we're, but you're not getting much change, I've got to say, from <laughs> anything. So the price of this would be 6,200 in bond for a case of 12. So, you know, but, but it's still called undervalued on the market. Whereas a Liver Les Gas would have been about 1,500 in bond for a case of 12. So it is significantly more. And but what is so often the case with Mouton, it does reward, it is just a great, great wine. And you have straight from the nose, one of the things that I love about a good vintage of a great wine is you almost don't need to taste it to know how good it is. You just hover your nose over the glass and you get those layers, you get the velvety texture, you know, you get all of those things. And you're happy to taste it, but you already feel confident as soon as you get your nose over it. It's the most nuanced, in, particularly in the bouquet, of your four Bordeaux's. Uh, but it's not my favourite, as it happens. Uh, but that's a tribute, that's only a tribute to, um, to the others, rather than the, rather than the shortcoming in this way. Yes, yeah, so I, think, I think, again, the L'Eglise Clinet has really, really kind of just wowed so much. This Mouton is... Oh, we have a picture, by the way. And we didn't see the, I don't think we saw the um, manga, did we? Martina, are you there? Are you, um, are you, can you show us the 96 Mouton label? We also have the of label. Course. just a sec. It's possible it's something which um, those signed up will, will be able to see and that we don't yeah. get to see. Possibly, well, anyway, never mind, but it is um, Gugan. Here we go. The first actually Chinese artist that did a, a Mouton label. And then and the last Mouton label is, is another Chinese artist, isn't it? It is this year. So yeah, and, and this so this was the first one. And this is five different um, ways of saying love, I believe, which is nice this year. Only and five? 
I think there are five different um, versions of calligraphy. Yep, exactly. So a very beautiful label and the first Chinese artist to, to do a Luton label. At this point, we were Baroness Philippine. So Baron Philippe died in 1988. So we were well into her, her kind of tenure. And you had um, Patrick Leon, who was the winemaker, the wonderful Patrick Leon, who went on to do Whispering Angel for any of you who are Rosé fans. Uh, but he was for a long time, he, he was at Mouton. And this is, a, this was a vintage which at first people thought was, even Mouton thought was maybe a little too austere, a bit too harsh, which I think is why to be fair to our American critic we were talking about, why he maybe underestimated it. A lot of people thought the tannins were too big when it first came out, but it has grown into itself. And it has, again, you get these kind of signature things about estates. And with Mouton, you get a signature, as with Cos, but in a much deeper way, this idea of kind of roundness, sexiness, glamour, all of those things. But it's also so poyak. That's what I love about this 1996. You just could not be anywhere but Poyak in terms of its structure, the, the mental edges, the, you know, the, the smoke, the, so there's like charcoal notes, all of those things that you love about Poyak. Okay, great, great choices, Jane. Um, it would be very interesting, maybe if the people who are watching wanted to say, and from both of you, which was your favorite out of those four? Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna agree with Jasper. I'm thinking he's gonna say the same thing. I'm, I think it's hard to beat that Liglise Cleaner. I, I fear uh, that uh, I do go with that as well, but um, I did enjoy the level of uh, and I was thrilled to make the acquaintance of um, uh, the Puy. So, um, what can I say? Apart from the fact that I might as well go home now. <laughs> I am home. I am home. Silly me. nights were not um, called for, so yeah. that's I think you have some pretty strong wines coming up, Jasper. I think well, I so. hope so. Uh, you know, Burgundy is such a different place uh, and that there are so many more wines to play with. You've got uh, at least as many, if not more, spectacularly fated uh, top-end producers and each of them have got 15 wines to play with instead of just one or two. Um, so that makes life a bit more complicated. The other thing is there's so much less made of any of the wines. I'm slightly worried that my cat, one of my cats has just arrived and is uh, threatening to knock my glasses over or leap onto the Christmas tree. Well, Jasper, you won't have seen, but it's a regular, regular occurrence that Jane's cat does appear. Oh, really? Jumps on the sofa often, so don't feel bad. Yeah, don't feel bad. Oh, okay. She's not here tonight for some reason, but she may well still appear, don't worry. Well, we have one very old one who's sitting on the sofa. We have a young Lepidus, who is a Maine Coon, who is just wandering around here. And he's, he's got very long fur, so just the sort of thing that a candle will drip onto. And then we've got a youngster, Rasselas, too. Anyway, be that as it may. So my wines are going to end up, uh, not the whites, in fact, but the reds are going to end up being more expensive than yours in the current market, Paris. But they will have been a lot less expensive when they were first sold by the producers, because that's the problem with Burgundy. You get this totally unrealistic secondary market price. And in fact, every conversation about wine pricing, whether it's Bordeaux, Burgundy or anything else, is always confused between what was the original price, what was the price that most of the wines were sold at, and what is the price where the odd case that's kicking around on the, one of the um, selling websites is currently being offered at. So uh, I've started also, um, I actually lulled into a sense of false security by not having known about Le Puy and assuming it was a, you just chosen a, 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 a sort of a starter wine that uh, 
um, you liked. And I've gone for something which is not expensive, either originally or subsequently. But it's a property that I really love. The first Simon Bees started this domain in the 1890s. The next two Simon Beeses continued it through until Patrick Bees appeared in the 1970s and took over from his dad, who, who, who got ill a little bit early. Um, Patrick is fractionally older, but he was sort of one of the same general team as the Rumiers, Griveaux, uh, Lafons, etc., etc. That generation that really put Burgundy on the map again. And uh, Patrick, in fact, um, his sister married Etienne Griveaux, so it all sort of kept in the family a bit. Uh, Patrick didn't marry anybody Burgundian. He married a most delightful uh, Japanese lady, uh, Kiza Bees. And uh, when Patrick sadly died unexpectedly, a uh, heart attack in 2013, Kiza uh, decided to take over uh, running the domain. Um, they had two children, but at uh, that stage they were much too young to be considered for um, getting fully involved. I mean, they were, I'm not sure what age they were, but I'm going to say around about 12, 13, 14. Um, and uh, so Jesus said, okay, I'm going to do it. Um, she has uh, very good help on the whites because she's more passionate about the reds. She's not somebody who does something in halves, so it's totally organic, biodynamic, always 100% a whole bunch, uh, unless, as in 2018, certainly the cuvées, they had too, too much wine, too many grapes, and so they had to destem some of them to put them in the vats. Um, and it's one of those domains that has a huge range of different vineyards from their home village, which is Savigny Les Bones. Uh, and they have, uh, I'm just going to say off the top of my head, six or seven different Premier Crews. Uh, the one that most caught my eye in 2018 was Savigny Au G-U-E-T-T-E-S, but we couldn't find that at short notice. And we've got another one, which um, uh, I rated very highly as well, but I said it was a bit more reserved, a bit more backward, uh, which is Auvergeles. And uh, Vergeles is on the border, you'll be amazed to hear, with the village of Penn on Vergeles, but it's still in Savigny. And this is 2018, so I uh, no compunction about showing a really young wine, because all my others are properly mature. Um, I, I don't know, um, uh, you tell me, but, uh, but I adore the perfume in this wine. Whether it's cherries or raspberries or roses or strawberries or whatever else. Um, while I'm chatting away, it's, it's difficult to um, really sort of concentrate and settle in on the aromatics, but at least when I put my nose into it, I'm getting full-on aromatics straight away. Well, Julian is asking in the chat box, is, is Simon Bees any relation to Lalu Bees Lawa? No. Um, uh, bo both of them would say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talked with Le Puy about the special place it was, uh, at a bit of higher elevation and almost sort of a holy feeling about it. And this is also true that uh, not in this particular vineyard, but just above there, in uh, where they have their Bourgogne and Oak Coat, um, it's an amazing site overlooking Savigny and overlooking um, right across the Valley of the Seine. And there is a, they've erected a little cross there. It's not the actual burial site, but it's a memorial site for Patrick Beezer's parents and now for Patrick as well. So um, it's- Somewhere special. Family, it's somewhere special and human relationships are so important in Burgundy uh, and this family as much as any. Well, I think it's gorgeous. And you know, I also think it has something in common with Le Puy in terms of its drinkability. It's so, so easy to drink. This is another one which I could finish without even noticing that it was going down because it's so, so juicy, absolutely delicious fruits. 
it has all that lovely kind of fresh raspberry it's great it's gorgeous and you get the effect of the whole bunch is giving it um a tingle factor i call it sometimes it's giving it uh, it, it it's not as strong as white pepper and things like that though when you do tasting notes you tend to bring those things in but it's just refreshing everything so that that richness of fruit doesn't become jammy yeah. um now that's a really smart wine that's been beautifully managed i think how much is this if you bought a bottle of this it's not wildly expensive um i'm going to th i'm thinking that it's the mid 30 euros something like that could be 40 but it won't be more than that yes um, i definitely think we need to start recommending to each other a sub 40 yes. euros from each of our regions each christmas <laughs> i think that is uh, wow I, I do remember working, having, having worked in restaurants for many years, Simon Beezy's Savonies were always a kind of a must-have on the wine list because they were always great value and great quality. Yes, I did feel in an earlier time that they weren't necessarily consistent and that in any, it wasn't that one year was less good than another, but some of the vineyards hit and others didn't. And actually now I feel that in the current incarnation, I feel that it's been really, really successful. Um, so... Well done, Chisa. Well done, Team Bees. And well done, Savigny Les Bones, of which it is said that Les Vins de Savigny sont théologiques, nourrissants et morbifuges. So théologique means, uh, well, something religious. Uh, what comes next? Uh, uh, nourrissant, nourishing. And morbifuge, it could be translated as disease chasing or perhaps even death defying. So in these times of COVID, let's drink Savigny. <laughs> Indeed. Actually, they have another saying, which is uh, uh, on another stone wall somewhere in Savigny, saying, um, I'll just do it in English, but drink Savigny and never die. But uh, that probably isn't so accurate. <laughs> I just have to tell you that because I don't have enough glasses, I have to pour out the whites. Back, and I really tried to pour it back into the shabby bottle so that I could have more <laughs> later. But unfortunately, I've just it's ended up on my table. So damn it, I can't have that shabby again later. I, I decided just to do three glasses, one of a white, um, something of the Universal Zalto, which I felt would be right for Bordeaux, and the Burgundy Zalto for my Burgundies. And all I'm doing is just pouring myself a very small amount. That's enough to keep us going. And then I, I will be... I will share it with A, my wife, and B, the cameraman afterwards. Uh, we'll share what's left. Well, I did say I'm lucky because I've got all these glasses, but I do have someone to polish it, but I'll polish them, but I am saving them half a bottle of everything. So, yeah, glasses tonight. Yeah. Get to taste so them. if they're going to polish them, they should be allowed to polish them off as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. I hope one of you is uh, watching the chat because I'm not. Let me know if there's anything we should see. Um, okay, I have no. Uh, Apologies for showing this. It's not the first time this year that we've shown it on Zoom. It absolutely knocked people sideways um, the previous time that we showed it. And I then pulled out a bottle from my cellar and drank a bottle, and that did even better from the untouched bottle. And so we're having it back by popular demand, if you like. Pomar, which the appellation which nobody has much liked over the last 20 or 30 years, but they should have done, and they particularly should now with the global warming, 18, 19, and 20. Pomar is right up there star stuff and uh this is the Clodis Epino, that wonderful vineyard monopoly of Domaine du Comte Armand. uh it's the 2010 so made by our friend Ben Leroux and I think it's probably the best vintage that he made in his years there that is gorgeous which is a tiny bit of oxidation on the nose in my sample um I don't have oxidation here 
but I, it's fleeting. It's not the sort of oxidation that's destroyed the wine. It's just uh, floating about on top. Well, one of the wines, Jasper, that I put in my Christmas case um, to sell to members this year was the um, the the, uh, the Claude de Zeppano, um from the main de Corcel that I think we fried earlier okay. in the year as well, which was an amazing wine. Which would be a very different wine, however, because that would have been very late picked and almost entirely, probably 100% whole bunch. Whole bunch, yeah, exactly. This is picked in the general run of things, not especially early, not, not late. Um, but if you had to call it, you'd say it was, it was in the first half of, of picking dates, if you like, or would begin them. Um, within the context of Pomar, you would pick later than Volney. Um, and Ben subsequently used a few whole bunches, but probably not at this time in, in 2010. Um, it's just, for me, it's just an effortless wine. It's still good acidity, by the way. We talk about tannins, sometimes rustic tannins in Pomar, and they're absolutely not there in this wine. But Epino is probably the most finesseful, if I can use that word, of the major Pomar vineyards. So there is the squeeze of tannins where you can tell that it's going to age. You can feel that there are walls yeah. but kind of holding the fruit. It just it's very, very well integrated. Well, when, when, when we talked about this on the previous Zoom, you wouldn't have been listening in probably, um, uh, Jane and Ass, but uh, uh, I did mention that uh, on the occasion which uh, we drank this at the um, Codes Ethno Vertical, the oldest wine on show that was still alive and very happy was the 1864. So, Gosh, did you taste that with the 67 Palmar Zoom? No, 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 no. That, that was when we did a vertical with the owners, with the Comte Armand. Comte Armand himself said, why on earth no one is going to be interested in tasting these silly old wines. Let's just have the... You know, okay, up to 30 years, fine. But after that, this is ridiculous. And we said, no, we would like to taste them, please. <laughs> anyway. I love that good. wine. Thank you. Uh, I'm happy with it too, though, as I say, there was just a fractional oxidation on the nose of mine. Well, I think Alistair is saying that um, he poured his wine an hour and a half ago, and it's really just opened up now. All right. Alistair's got more common sense in wine management than... Uh, than me on these occasions, but um, great self discipline as well, I'd say, an hour and a half in the glass. I agree, and keeping it in the glass. <laughs> and that one, the cameraman is looking a little bit nervous because um, Lapidus the cat has sat down on one of his boxes containing valuable equipment. But uh, with a bit of luck, it'll be all right as long as he doesn't leap on here and knock my glasses flying. So, another 2010. We, I didn't talk much about the vintage, uh, I mentioned it in the white earlier. But in the Reds, it was a year that nobody had many hopes for. It was a late year. It was difficult. Uh, fortunately, it was a, a low yield because the flowering hadn't been very good. And it, meant, and it was a late vintage. They did end up picking um, in, they began in September and finished in October, uh, which is late-ish nowadays for Burgundy. And people were just happy to have saved the vintage. And only a year later in barrel, we thought actually the wine's quite good. And two years later, as they got into the bottle, we started to adjust and think these are properly good. And now 2010 has got a special um, reputation, which I think Border, Border had right at the start. Hang on. It this is. is the cat in question, by the way. So you may have seen, if you follow me on Instagram, you will have seen him as sommelier cat, because in the summer, he likes to have a good sniff of what I'm tasting. Now he wants to get down, which is fair enough. So. 
Um, oh, I've got cat hair in my glass now. Never mind. Um, so, uh, so, but the 2010 worked out really, really well. It's so well balanced. Few tannins, acidity correct, not more than that. Uh, grapes nicely ripe. There was no rot, but totally healthy. And uh, Claude Laroche from uh, Domaine Dujac, which is a great favorite of mine. We are now in the um, back into the using mostly whole bunches camp. Uh, it's not quite 100% here. It's slightly less with Jeremy Says and his brothers and his wife in control uh, and than it was with Jacques Says, but, but not massively. They dialed back the new oak a little bit more uh, in the new regime. Um, Jasper, Jer Jeremy has one of the best social media accounts, I think, of any Burgundy vineyard. Great on Twitter and I'm, I guess Instagram as well, but really always gets involved, interesting comments. He, he's excellent. Very, very smart man, uh, Jeremy. And, uh, and I'm, I must say, Domaine Dujac very, very, very rarely disappoints. It's I always yeah. The cunning Mr. Mark Carrington, if I can call him out, um, who said at the chat at the start that he hasn't bought the selection, bad Mark, um, for tonight. However, he is drinking the Maurice Saint Denis Village 2010 from Dujac. Um, and it is, I, I don't know why I make these plugs before I fill up my own cellar with them, but the Village <laughs> Maurice Saint Denis is an absolute winner from Dujac consistently, uh, year in, year out. Or as we say nowadays, no, it's a really bad wine and nobody should possibly buy it. <laughs> so we're on the same vintage. We have two 2010s here. Yeah. So what do you, do you uh, how do you feel between, between the two, Jane? It's different. You get the, the it's slightly, the, the tannin, tannic hole is a little more obvious in this one, as in it's younger, it feels younger, it feels like it has a lot further to go. It's a little bit more subdued maybe right now. And yet, it, this is probably the one that I would say is, is going to... Yes, yes. But we are talking Grand Cru and it would have been more expensive at birth. It would have more of a resale value um, uh, subsequently because in this sad modern world that we live in, uh, the people who want um, the best of the best, it needs to be Grand Cru and it needs to be Cote de Nuit. And, um, one of the things I really loved during lockdown is that I spent a lot of time drinking much simpler appellations uh, and spreading the range of the producers that I drink from and learning so much, I must admit. So anyway, that's where I am at the moment. Agreed. It's gorgeous. Yeah, he's a smart winemaker and, and you're right, he rarely disappoints. <laughs> I just leant forward incidentally so I can check on the chat. Uh, the cat's got a bit of love and uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, don't buy Dujac, anybody. Stop buying Dujac. Don't buy Rumier either. Russo, absolute no-no. And <laughs> lots of the new young friendly people, uh, they're not making good wine. I did actually once suggest to Christophe Rumier, I said, look, you're missing a trick here. What you need to do, because he really hates the secondary market and all that that's brought to the wine world. So I said to him, you're missing a trick. Every time a journalist asks for a sample, make sure he gets a faulty one. And then the word would go out that your wine is no good anymore, but we'll know, we'll know, and we'll go on buying. And the well, people who want to drink your wine will get it. He said, I hear you, but. <laughs> just add there, in response to that, Jasper, um, the first wine that I had, the Chateau Le Puy, when they were 
featured in the Japanese manga, which kind of exploded the, you know, the, the, the myth of this wine and suddenly overnight people were trying to get hold of it. So what the owner did, Jean-Pierre Amaro, is he took it off the market because he said, I don't want speculation. I don't want the loyal customers to be able to buy it. So he did the exact opposite of what most Bordelais would do. And he withdrew it from sale until things had calmed down and he made sure, ah, there we go. There's the, there's the yeah. yeah, so un until um, he'd made sure that the normal customers got hold of it at the same price it originally was. And then he put it back on the market. Well, it's on limestone soil. It's a burgundy, really. It just happens to be in the wrong shape bottle in the wrong part of the country. But nonetheless, nonetheless. Anyway. Gosh. Okay. Well, now we come to the last wine. This would have been the opening price for this wine to, uh, not sorry, to um, the public, but certainly it would have been sold at no more than 50 euros a bottle into the trade. When it was when it was born, and in fact, even up to maybe five years ago, the price would still have been under a hundred euros a bottle. Really? Well, you know, I talked to um, Eric Russo about this, and he said, "Well, what would we do if we made more money? We'd only have to pay more taxes. Uh, they earn plenty, um, which enables them, if need be, to buy more land. Uh, they have no interest in uh, the smart cars and the rest of it. Uh, you know." There's nothing they would enjoy more in their lives than being out in their vineyards. And in fact, um, Eric Russo is one of the very few who will still be out in his, of the, of the truly great names, he's one of the few, Christophe Rumier would be another, uh, who is going to be out there in the vineyards doing the work themselves. Plenty of others have done it and will do it a bit at the time with the team. But nowadays with the, the cares of running a big domain and the rest of it, they're much more likely to be either in the winery or doing something on the on the promotional side, um, and we, which is understandable and fair enough. But Eric doesn't really like having to talk to people. <laughs> He'd much rather be out there, uh, making, not so much even making the wine, but making the grapes. We are very, very, very definitely giving the Liglise Clinet a run for its money with this wine. I mean, that is gorgeous. <laughs> wow. Hmm. So Clos Saint-Jacques, it's only a premier cru officially, but obviously it sells at the same price as the Grand Cru's right from the start, pretty much. And uh, it, it could easily be a Grand Cru. There are stories why it isn't. One, it doesn't touch Chambertin itself. And two, the person who owned it at the time was a complete uh, arsehole in the, uh, not to mince words, and nobody really wanted to support uh, his bid to get it made into a Grand Cru. In any way, he was too grand uh, a senior to wish to do all the paperwork, so it didn't happen. And why not be the very best of the Premier Cruise instead of, of amongst the good Grand Cruise? Yeah. This again is the aromatics that just jump out at you, and you're at that beautiful stage where they're just a little turkey while still full of fresh fruits as well. Incidentally, for the naysayers, the fake news people, please note that the candles on the tree continue to burn, gen burn gently and quietly, and there isn't any sizzling and crackling. Uh, obviously, you're not seeing them go right down to the end, but it is such a happy part of our Christmas to have, have the candles on the tree. What happens about the wax? Does the wax drip down to the floor? 
Um, well, not if you've got enough cats uh, in between. It just gets into their fur. Um, no, not normally if you're balanced. It, it's a possibility, but with candles these days, it doesn't seem to happen very much. But certainly when I was growing up in our household, we, we had it as well. Uh, and you would get wax dripping onto the ornaments underneath. Was that your job, to clear them up afterwards? No, no. not then and not, and not now. But in both our households, we had family ornaments. We'd add one or two every so often. Uh, and uh, I remember you know, when we divided up the family inheritance, uh, there was a, a, a big discussion. But in fact, my sister Araminta got most of the Christmas tree baubles. But we all got something that was special to us. And since Abigail had the same um, family traditions, uh, these are mostly her ornaments. But we all, both of us, we add one or two each year. Oh, they're gorgeous. And this wine is gorgeous. Thank you for choosing this. It's beautiful. I love it. Well, my pleasure. And that's sort of um, what we've got where we've got. Um, there's a lot of very right? positive um, comments in the in the chat box for these last two wines. I think that that. Um... I feel like I need to lean forward and see the chat. <laughs> Here I am. Okay. I see. But I mean, you know, for me, all the way through, I was utterly, utterly thrilled with all the Bordeaux wines uh, I uh, I tasted, um, and I haven't been disappointed with any of the Burgundy wines. A couple of them, the noses were a tiny bit more evolved in this version of sampling, but um, that's also fair, fair enough. Um, yeah, it should be. Well, should we look at the poll? Should we get the poll up and let people vote? So we're going to allow people three votes each, which okay. enables you not to feel that you have to do. up now, sorry, um, because I thought I could change that, but we can only vote for 10 options in one poll. And as we got okay. more wines, uh, please decide uh, if you want to make two polls on whites and uh, the second on reds, or- well, That's a really good idea. Let's do a, poll, let's do a poll on whites with one vote and a poll on red with two votes or three votes. The reason I was thinking of saying three was so that you didn't feel obliged to do one Bordeaux, one Burgundy. You could, you could vary them, but maybe if we're doing eight wines, uh, who knows? So okay, as so... soon as Martina's ready, we will do the poll. Um, I need to remove, move the chat, otherwise I can't see the poll. Just give me a second, I will change the single choice option and we're done. Single, single choice then for for the white, I think is probably. Or should we do well, double choice? White? Maybe you, can you tell us what you're going to be drinking Christmas day? Who? You. Me? Both? Or Jane can go, I haven't decided yet. I did, yeah, I, I'm really not sure. And in fact, because last night I had that 1966 Les it was at, it was at a wine shop in Bordeaux, with a brilliant wine shop in Chartres, where they have a lot of old Burgundy, old Rhone, lots of old wines. Yeah. And, and it made me think, I've got nothing old enough in my cellar. So I was thinking, can I go and do a swap with them? If I take some, <laughs> some more recent wines, will they hit me up with some beautiful old Rhone or Burgundy? So yeah, I'm, I don't yet know exactly what I'm going to be drinking, but, I'm, but it's going to be good, I'm sure. What we're going to do is we're going to have our Christmas on Christmas Eve. So my wife is of a Scandinavian family, and we're going to have it on Christmas Day as well, because I'm English. Uh, so we will have great bottles on both occasions, but it's only the two of us. So some wines, for example, the white wine will carry over between the two. And then um, after that, two days later is my birthday. So we're going to have even better 
uh, bottles, partly because we have um, get, we're having to do it at lunchtime, and we now have a curfew, couvre-feu, at eight o'clock. So I'm not sure you can do justice to a decent lunch and be home for eight o'clock. Uh, but we have uh, uh, a, uh, a husband and wife team of winemakers in Burgundy, uh, one of whose wines we happen to have had this evening coming around for that. Uh, and then, of course, there's the 31st, because uh, France likes to go heavily with New Year's Eve for its uh, best celebrations of this period. Although sadly this year they have the, the um, curfew is also applying on New Year's Eve. Yeah, especially on New Year's Eve, but that uh, but that's all right. We will but there. We will just be within our, our bubble of our uh, immediate neighbours who uh, who count as being within our bubble because we are in their house every day. Um, so yeah, I mean, plenty of good wine. It will include Sautern. It will include. It might well include Vieux Chateau Sautern ninety eight is an option. Um, it will include some final burgundy. It may well have some Rhones or Rhone uh, from California because I have an incredible bottling of uh, Jade Mountain Mount Vida Syrah 1995, which remains one of my great Syrahs from anywhere in the world for my entire life. And I still have a bottle left, I hope, of that. Uh, it will certainly have some Chateau Chanel uh, to go with the cheese. Uh, champagne I haven't decided on yet. There will be a vintage Paul Roger. I'm not uh, rich enough to own any Winston Churchill, but and there will be something else as well. Uh, so decisions not yet made, but that's an indication. Looks right. like we're ready for the poll. I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. for me, it's definitely going to include a little bit of Madeira and some German Riesling, without a doubt. But um, yeah, so um, but we're ready for the poll. So vote on one white. I think. And for you two, Jane, what would be your top white? I. I, I loved the Chablis Premier Cru or the um, Mission Aubryon Blanc. They were my two favourites. I'm going to vote for a Bordeaux white. <laughs> Are we allowed to vote? And yes, you're allowed to vote. Okay. In that case, I'm going to vote for a, a Burgundy white. And I've just told you which Don't one. Don't be I'm... too polite. Don't have to be polite. No, 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 no. I was going to vote for the Bordeaux white anyway. But I thought if I got that comment in, then Jane might vote for Burgundy. <laughs> you know, I'm so well, well behaved. I always <laughs> be polite. Okay, Martina, have we got a result for the whites? The suspense is killing me. There we go. Gosh, and the winner is not, uh, neither of us voted for the winner. Uh, <laughs> You're right. Still, they did well. Yeah, well done. Jean-Marc will be pleased with me, which is always good news, but still. Okay. He took me fast. I've written an article in, the, I forget which magazine, probably Well Defined Wine in which I criticised white burgundies for oxidising too, too much. And I, I had slightly overstated the case. I mean, there is reason to criticise, but I had probably gone a bit too far. And uh, he and Mr. Lafont took me out to lunch with very much, uh, I was told what the, uh, the reason for this lunch was, and I was taken to task. And, uh, but, but, you know, in fact, I had overstated. One or two of the things I'd said didn't stack up, but I was in a grumpy mood when I wrote the article. So. <laughs> Jasper, how long ago was that? Was that um, incident? Oh, two or three years ago, uh, and certainly, I mean, I, I um, by that point, the uh, most of the problem had been sorted. Uh, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's up now. So, how many do we get to vote for? Do we get two on these or three? I think there's two. Should we go with two? Yeah. Okay. 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 
Oh, hang on. I'm trying to do it with my hand. I've got to do it with my the moose. The cat's around. The mouse is dangerous. And so have I. I voted for one of each this time. Or did you vote for Joan? Hey. I voted for one of each side this time, but I'm happy. Hmm? I did one of each. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> but I know which one I really hope wins, but <laughs> we will see. Yeah, well, I voted for it, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, the Leglise Cleaner was amazing. Um, and the two last burgundies were just, wow, I mean, both of them are fantastic. They're Feel free to vote for two burgundies anytime you like, Ronan. <laughs> what a fun lineup of wines this has been. It's been so you know, nothing let us down. They really didn't. We're very lucky. Yeah. May we have the answer? Oh, the suspense. I'm hunched over my screen, waiting <laughs> for the answers. Oh, wow. L'Eglise Plinet, as you suspected, carries the day. Yeah, uh, oh, hang on. Um, no, in fact, there are two equal. There are two equal. The Clos Saint-Jacques. Yeah. I didn't vote for the Clos Saint-Jacques. I did vote for the L'Eglise Plinet. I, I did. So we were, maybe I just switched it over. This is, I think those two deserved it. I really do. I yeah. So if had I voted for Clos uh, I voted for Claude Laroche, uh, I must admit. But I could have I voted. Actually, I could so easily have voted for the 70. I don't know. <laughs> It depends what you choose. Do you choose the two best wines or do you choose the two that, that sort of play out of their skins? But what's really nice is that every, all of the 12 wines have got some votes tonight. I agree. So well done, the team um, who've been listening in. You've helped to make this really, really special. Um, Happy so. Christmas, we need to say. Yeah. Well, thank you both. I mean, thank you both for being with us all year. You know, who'd have thought in March we'd still be doing this at Christmas? I know. Well, I was hoping. <laughs> to be with you all year. Honestly, it has truly been the highlight of my 2020 doing these tastings. So thank you. You're a lot of fun. Um, Ronan, you're the only one of the three of us who's failed to produce a cat. I know, or a Christmas tree. Oh, that's or a Christmas tree. Yeah. If we had more time, we would vote for Christmas trees or cats, but we, we, we don't have enough time, unfortunately. But we, from all of us at Six and Palmal, all the team, there's a big team behind these webinars. So, you know, we wish you both a very, very Merry Christmas, great new year. And we look forward to seeing you in probably tier three January. For oh, us. Yeah. No, we'll definitely be back in January. Uh, and uh, I, I'd like to thank um, you, Ronan, team at 67 Palmao, Jane, top stuff. Great to, great to work with you on this. Congratulations again on your book, which came out this year. And also, I really, really want to thank our, our loyal group of followers who uh, illuminate the chat as well. So thank you all. I agree, it's been wonderful. Thank you, happy Christmas everyone. And right. Thank you very much everyone. Good night, happy Christmas. Bye-bye.